Welcome to High Lawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. We pray that you are blessed by the sharing of God's truth for us this day. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Please take out your copy of God's Word with me and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter three. For have for as long as there has been Christians, and as long as there have been Christians living in nations, there has been a struggle from the time of the early Roman Empire to today. The church, the capital C church, has always been at odds with the society that it seeks to live in. Now, for the past 200 or so years, we have been relatively safe. We've lived in a country that values freedom and values religious freedom. Thomas Jefferson was the grandson of a Baptist pastor. John Adams was the son of a cobbler who was also a separatist Puritan deacon. Several of our founding fathers were very religious people. There were some that weren't. But a lot of them had this one thing in common. The citizens of a new nation that was being formed should be allowed to decide for themselves through their own individual right of conscience what path they follow. They should not be made by the state to conform to any individual ideology save that of mutual respect, brotherhood, and love. What have we done with that freedom since? As Christians, as we focus in on our end of the American story. What have we done with the freedom that we've been given? Have we always loved God above all else? Have we always loved our neighbor as ourselves? Have we always loved each other with the same exact agape, self-sacrificial love that Christ has for you as He commanded? Those are the three big commandments. When we look out across the street and we see someone hurting or we see someone who we know has had a struggle with addiction or we see someone who's a single parent trying to raise a whole bunch of kids by themselves, how are we doing with loving them as our neighbor? If we come together for a church vote about something and we have a contention between us, how are we doing about loving each other the same way that Christ loves us? You have a tremendous, precious gift that was given to you. 
a gift that is over 2,000 years old, which was the bulwark of what we think of as morality, what we think of as common decency, what we think of as common courtesy. We have this wonderful heritage, giants of the faith on whose shoulders that we stand, with three basic convictions. Love God, love your neighbor, love each other. And the reason those convictions are important is because human nature on its own, the raw human nature, the natural person that we are, outside the redemptive power of Christ, knows not these things. We cannot please God without Christ. We cannot be the moral convicted person that we are outside of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We can live kind of in imitation of it or in... Uh, and social pressure of it, but can you please God without having the Holy Spirit as part of your makeup? No, it is simply not possible that Paul tells us as such. But what he also writes for us here is that when we come into contact with Christ, when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, when we confess ourselves a sinner and accept the free pardon of sin, the person that stands up from the altar, if they were truthful in that that confession and repentance, the person who stands up will be a completely different person. The society that we live in today is at odds with that. They've been good about hiding it, but they've always been that way. As we read together, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the same old covenant, excuse me, when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil covers their hearts. What he's basically saying here is that those outside of Christ have a blindness over them. Those outside of Christ, even Paul, for his own people, has to confess in this writing that the Israelites love the law more than they love God. They've made the Bible into an idol. Let's continue reading. Verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word this morning. Outside of the Holy Spirit of God, we are in a state of slavery. 
Outside of the Holy Spirit of God, we are chained to the convictions of the flesh. Outside of the Holy Spirit of God, we do not have a free will. We do not have freedom of choice. We have only the destitution of the soul that comes from being part of this fallen world. And even after someone comes in the free pardon of sin, the enemy is not finished with them. People who try to live justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before their God, people that try to do what they've been asked to do, inevitably fall into his crosshairs. Now, there are three main enemies of the believer. Actually, there's three main enemies of humanity altogether. That's the world, the power structures outside of divine leadership. Do you put your do you put your faith in God or do you put your faith in finances? Do you put your faith in our dependency upon him for everything or do you believe that the government is going to strengthen you and do everything for you, provide you with social security and so forth? Which government programs based on keeping their people safe? I don't have an issue with, but we need to remember who is the ultimate authority. Who are we worshiping? Are we, are we entrenched in the world and all of its pressures? There's also the flesh, the personal desire for pleasure above all else, the personal desire for safety, security, and so forth, none of which is wrong in and of themselves, but the enemy will take that and twist it and contort it into something that it was never intended to be, something that causes harm on others, something that sees other people not as people, but as objects. So we have three great enemies, the world, the flesh, and of course, who? The devil, who's the author of all of them, the father of lies, the first murderer. He, not have, he may not have stabbed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, but he's the reason they're dead. And to this day, he's the reason that all of us share that curse. So we have our sights set on us by three different factors, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And there are several tools in their arsenal that they try to use to both ensnare people that are unbelievers into unbelief and staying that way, and who try to trip us up as believers into giving up on our testimony, into letting things into our hearts that shouldn't be there, into being apathetic towards the needs of others, both spiritual and physical. The tools of spiritual slavery are quite simple. First is pride, self-focus, seeing yourself on the throne of your own heart where God should be. It is the, it is the foundation of all sin, commission and omission. There's, of course, persecution, which is what we're seeing a lot of right now. Christians are not in favor by the society in which we live in. Have you seen that? The structures of this world right now are being targeted against us. Are we ready for when that happens? We were promised that several places in the Bible. And the fact that we've had it this good for this long is not, is not the rule in Christian history. It's an aberration. For 2,000 years, the people who call, are called by Christ have been under fierce persecution. It's only the past 200 that we've had kind of a relief from that. But we see that tide changing. Of course, there is falsehood. A Mark Twainism comes to mind right here. There are three kinds of lies. There are, I'm not going to say all of them. But if you've ever heard that quote, you know what I'm talking about. The best lies are actually truths that are peppered with false truths. 
give them just enough of what looks like a fact to taunt them, but then throw them a curveball to get them to turn away from the things of God. This includes rumors. This includes backbiting. This includes slander. This includes all those horrible things that cause people to divide themselves. There's, of course, reliance on the self, as it was just prayed a couple of seconds ago. One of the things that we do need to keep in mind as Christians living in this nation is that we are not wholly independent. We are very much dependent on the things of God, God's providence, God's provision, God's mercy, God's precious grace. There's, of course, superstition and traditions of men, the things that lock us together. There's an old saying that if it happens three times in somebody's life, it becomes a tradition. And that's not always a good thing. As Baptists, again, we have a very high opinion of Scripture. Everything that we do, everything that we are, everything that we profess to believe, every, the, every way we act, we examine and we re-examine constantly in the light of Holy Scripture to make sure that it's consistent. And if it's not consistent, we need to rip it out. And we need not to be sorrowful when we do it. Because if it's not in line with God's Word, then guess what it is? If it's not for God, then it's for the... The devil is for the enemy. There are others as well. There's conformity, the pressure to be just like everybody else. One of the things that in my dad's generation I take a look at and I have to giggle about uh, is the fact that um, a lot of people of his generation, those who are growing up in the the uh, mid to late 60s and early 70s decided that they want to be completely different from anybody else. But when you take and look at a bunch of pictures from Woodstock, everybody ends up looking the same by trying to look like everybody else. Everybody's doing it. We've all heard that phrase before. Trying to get the people of God to conform to the ways of this world is an old, old idiom in the devil's playbook. There's, of course, doubt. Now, doubt is our reaction to things that are going on in this world. Doubt is a, a triggering mechanism in the, in, in, the, in the mind of the believer. It's something that causes the spiritual truth that we hold in our heart to come into conflict with the world that we see, the physical world around us. And that's dangerous. Because for the practically minded, that means that we could accidentally trip over the things of this world thinking that it was only the best of wisdom, when in truth, we forgot the part that God plays in our lives. There's also um, disbelief. I'm sorry about the slide. Disbelief, whereas doubt is a conflict in the mind, disbelief is an act of the will. Have you ever known of somebody that, that has grown so argumentative against the things of Christ that they dig their heels in, that no matter what you try to do, say, or what you try to, how you try to approach them from a point of truth, they will publicly declare that there can be no Christ, that there's no such thing as God, and so forth, not because they actually hold a logical reason, but because they're so emotionally tethered to that that they can't let go. Their heels are dug. Their heart is calloused. And that's very dangerous because as we're going to see in the next sermon, next coming Sunday, we're going to be talking about 
uh, the parable of the sower. God has a tendency, if someone is hard-hearted or stiff-necked, to allow them to continue to be hard-hearted, to continue to be stiff-necked until they are brought so low they have no choice but to recognize who God is. For every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And of course there is apathy, the sin of omission. Why should I get involved? Why should I care? Why should I want to help? Horrible situation in violation of all three of the great commandments. And yet there are still more. But the thing that we, if there is a comfort that can be taken from all of this, it is that while the enemy's playbook only has three slides, it only has three slides. We've been dealing with the same enemy for thousands of years. You'd think we would have learned how he acts by now. But time and time again, we keep falling for the same stuff. And it's only through honest and rigorous discipleship that we come to know him before he attacks us. Mark, if you'd change the slide, please. Anxiety. This is a big one. Because someone once defined anxiety as putting something on your shoulders that belongs on somebody else's. And that's the truth. And ultimately, for those who are both believers and disbelievers, it's putting something on your own shoulders that should be the province of God. We read last Sunday, I believe it was, consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin, yet, yet God, your heavenly Father, clothes them more beautifully than Solomon in all of his splendor. Why worry about tomorrow? This is the Robbins edition. Don't worry about tomorrow because God holds it. Idolatry, that's putting anything before God. That's putting, it's putting Sunday night football before God when you should be in the house of worship. That's putting the, the comforts of this world before God when you should be engaging in the things of God. Objectification, that's looking at somebody else's either a job description or a function, not as a person. Devaluing somebody so that they're a thing instead of a being of eternal significance and divine worth. And finally, there is legalism. Legalism is the denial of grace. You have to check all these boxes before you have to be saved. There's some denominations out there that will actually tell you if you've not prayed enough, if you don't exhibit this or the other gift of the Holy Spirit, if you don't perform work X, Y, and Z, that you cannot possibly be saved. Legalism denies the fact that God gives us His grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Your heavenly Father loves you, and He provided a way where there was no other way beforehand. So, moving on. This is what he has, the enemy that is, all three enemies have in store for you. This is what their goals are. The first one is to, outside of the things of God, with the things of this world, with the, the, the enticements of temptation, are to first gain your attention. Once they've got your attention, either through the various things. You know, music is a very popular means of doing that. And I'm not picking on, on musical styles here. I'm talking about 
the words that are associated with certain melodies, or the way that in a movie uh, where things that the the score actually makes you feel things as things that should not be are going on. The enemy wants to gain your attention and then wants to desensitize you to the place of God in your life. Desensitize your conscience. Take away the Jiminy Cricket. Take away the influence of the Holy Spirit in your lives. And pardon me, I did not mean to compare the Holy Spirit to Jiminy Cricket just now. But you've all seen the movie. You know what I mean. If, if he can convince you that what's right is actually wrong and what's wrong is actually right, then he's done his job. Because the next step after that, from desensitize, oh, that's okay, that's all right, everybody's doing it. The next step after that is to actually win your affections. To become an ally. To become a passive recipient and a passive uh, passerby for all that is wrong with the world. For those institutions that would seek to oppress others, to have them feel like victims all their lives, to have them stuck in a relationship with something that is addictive, that is unhealthy, to not be able to proclaim the truth that what is sin is sin, and without the redemptive power of Christ, number one, your hope in this life is gone, and number two, once this life is over, what do you have left? Once they can win your affections, they can then assimilate you, so that not only you might claim church membership, but you will become part of the will of the culture in which you live. Remember that the capital C church is always countercultural. No matter how Christian-based the culture may always may, may try to be, there will always be factions of it that are not congruent than what, with what we hold to be true. And it's our responsibility to stand up and say, this is wrong. But you can't do that if you're just one of the players. If they can assimilate you into the government, into, excuse me, not the government, if they can assimilate you into the culture, then they can make you an advocate against God's will in that culture. Reluctantly, I know of a Methodist pastor, I won't use his name, who just recently, with the events that have just happened, actually posted the following statement of, his own theology, which read that the Bible is a moral narrative, not a bunch of principles for daily living. I think Paul in the book of Romans would have a lot different to say. So to sum up, here's the danger that we're in. The world wants to get your attention. Once it's got your attention, it wants to desensitize you to the things that are actively against God. Once you're desensitized, it wants to win your affections so that you grow to love the people that are steeped in their sin. Once you grow to love them, it will then make you part of that system, part of that self-perpetuating stream of anti-godly behavior. And then after so long, not only does, it, does the enemy want you to be a part of it, he wants you to be an advocate for it against your own church, against the will of God. Let's keep moving. It's from the book of Isaiah. Woe be to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness before light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet or sweet for bitter. 
Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, in other words, not reliant on God, and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deny justice to the innocent. Does any of that sound familiar? Therefore, as tongues of fire lick up straw, and as the dry grass uh, sinks down in the flames, so their roots will decay and their flowers blow away like the dust, for they are rejected, for they have rejected the law of God, the Lord God Almighty, and have spurred the word of the Holy One of Israel. Woe be it to those who try to lead the people of God astray by choosing what is easy over choosing what is right. So how, if we're in that bondage, how do we get out of that bondage? And how do we lead others that are unbelievers out of that bondage? Well, there are three basic keys to that. Just as there are three enemies, you now have you have three allies. You have the Holy Spirit of God, who is the person of God working within you, empowering you, granting you wisdom, reminding you of everything that Christ has taught you. He is the person who calms your anxieties because he, re, he takes the responsibility of your salvation, your sanctification, and even your effectiveness as a minister of God, which incidentally all of you are, and he assumes that responsibility for himself. You want an antidote to anxiety? His name is the Holy Spirit. There's also the Word of God, which is the resource, again, of everything that we are, everything that we do. God revealed Word to you and His promise of eternal life. And, of course, there is us, the people of God. It is common wisdom that in the presence of the church, Joys are multiplied and sorrows are divided. Gather together, rebuking not the gathering of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more so as you see the day approaching. That's the Word of God. So how do we put those keys to use? How do you turn the keys? 2 Corinthians. Paul gives us an indicator. Since then, we know what it is to be to fear the Lord and to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. This is the growth of the believer within the church as Paul is confronting those who deny the power of the apostleship. Verse 12, we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again. We are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. Now, I want you to pay attention to these next couple of verses as we consider the way that the church is in our society right now. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. This is him talking about the way that love impacts someone who is a truly regenerate Christian. 
Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. He is not just a regular person. He is not just a a regular rabbi. He was not just someone who was a martyr. He is Lord. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. If anyone was in Christ, they are a new creation. There was a promise with that. You are free. The shackles and the chains that limit our ability to do what is right in the sight of God. The old nature that prevents us from being able to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's fallen away. Now again, the enemy will try to trap you back into it. He will try to rob you of your testimony. He can't rob you of your salvation. But he's going to try everything that he can do to discredit you. And we've talked about that. So what is it that we can do to make sure that we're holding on to it? Well, let's use the keys that we've been given. First of all, pray content. Write this down, please. Seven things, seven basic strategies that I want you to consider for making sure that the enemy doesn't try to put you back in chains. But to enjoy the freedom that was purchased for you. With the blood of Christ, pray continually. This is how you exercise your relationship with your heavenly Father. This is how we go boldly before the throne of grace that we may make our petitions known when we need mercy. And we can receive mercy in that hour of need. Pray continually. Prayer is God's way of using you in what he's about to do. Number two, believe the word wholeheartedly. Again, if God says it, that's the end of it. We used to say, if God says it, I believe it, and that's the end of it. But really and truthfully, that's the end of it, whether you actually believe it or not. If it's in the black of right and white of Scripture, well, it is right. But if it's in the black and white of Scripture, it's the Word of God. Believe in it wholeheartedly and meditate, number three, meditate on it daily. You want a good way to, to, to absorb God's presence? Go into His presence and in the stillness of a moment reserved just for Him, an appointment with your Heavenly Father. Go in with His Word. Two or three verses and just sit. Grab those verses and focus on them. Pause and consider. Salah, it's all through the book of the Psalms. Pause and consider on what His Word has in store for you. Many times we have Uh, devotional guides that that are there for you. But I encourage you, if you use those as as an aid, pause and consider for yourself. Don't just take that little story that they give you at face value, but pause and consider for yourself as well. How does the Word of God affect you? And make sure that you know and you realize that the presence of God is there with you in those hours. That's key. When I say meditate, I don't mean in the Eastern sense, to erase everything that's going on in your, in your mind and draw a complete blank and seek oblivion. What I'm telling you to do is hyper-focus on a small select piece of the Word of God and in that intense focus realize that God is speaking to you and that God's presence is there. So pray continually. Believe the Word of God wholeheartedly. Meditate daily in His presence and study the Word of God diligently. If you don't know that there is something going wrong in your world that is against what the Word of God says because you don't know what the Word of God says, 
What is that old phrase from civics, ignorance of the law is? No excuse. Know what's in the Word of God because it was created specifically for you. It is your letter from God. Basic instructions before... Oh, come on, you guys have been through Sunday school. Basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E. You haven't heard that one? Must have been Kentucky thing. I'm sorry, I'll move on. But, but just so that you get it, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. The B-I-B-L-E. Study the Word of God diligently. Apply its principles personally. This is how we make a Christian testimony. This is how we keep a Christian testimony. Is when the Word of God tells you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, love your neighbor as yourself, and love each other as He has loved you. Put that into practice. Esteem others as greater than yourself. Everything that you do, whether in word or deed, do as unto the Lord. All of these things, if you put them into your practice, you build a testimony. And through that testimony, you can have now something that you can share with others. Obey God's will constantly. Don't waver. All of us come into temptation. There are many denominations that don't believe once saved, always saved, that will look to this and tell me that that salvation in Baptist eyes is a blank check to sin. And I tell them, no, once saved, always saved is your evidence that you are bound for heaven. Because if you're in Him, your life, your conduct, your conversation, your character will conform by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. You will conform to God's Word. Now, do we mess up sometimes? Yes. But as God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Follow and obey His will constantly and share the gospel boldly. You, we, the Capital C Church, as we found out through some of the darkest chapters in our history, a nation can claim to be a Christian nation, but in truth there will be a lot of secular elements within it. The way that you change a nation is the same way, effectively, is in our history with the Great Awakenings. The way that you change a society is one heart at a time. It's one heart at a time. So we not only have a freedom to be able to approach God whenever we want to, a freedom to know that we are now free from death, that we are free from sin, that we are free from the grave, a freedom that Christ has bought for us. But we have responsibilities, what we do with that freedom. We just read that the love of Christ compels us, meaning that if we have experienced the love of God in something, that we are then prompted into action. We've talked about the two different kinds of sins, if you want to think of them, and that the sins of commission and the sins of omission. If anyone knows what is right to do and does it not, to that person is regarded as sin. So we are compelled, we are responsible with what we do with the freedom that we have been given. Mark, if you... I want uh, 
This comes from one of our founding fathers. First Vice President of the United States, Second President, First Minister to Great Britain, all around someone that his own contemporaries thought of as brilliant, a gifted speaker, and sometimes very obnoxious, a mover and a shaker, who always had the best of his people at heart. In his own thought, this is what he gives to us for our latter generations. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and a religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. If a people do not have a spiritual foundation, if a group does not have the ability to agree on a single moral center, a framework from which to live, not an oppressive regime, but an agreed-upon ideal, founded in our case by the Word of God, then democracy is no good. We have to have an established set of principles. We have to be able to claim right and wrong. We have to be able to define good and evil. We have to be able to say that there is an objective truth. And stand on that truth. Second Chronicles. The words of God to Solomon. Wisest man who ever lived. If my people, who are called by my name, and again, this is good for national as well as individual confession. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive them their sin, and I will heal their land. We've talked about some of the weapons of the enemy. Some of the ways that he's trying to chain us back. We celebrate political freedom tomorrow. Freedom from a government that didn't see our families of days past as anything more than a piggy bank to be exploited. Who didn't consider them countrymen who saw them as a means to an end, who didn't see them hardly as people. And a few, courageous, a few courageous men and women gathered together and said no more. And on these principles we will stand. That same John Adams, again, he was a separatist Puritan. Believed in you to our posterity. Act well with the freedom that you've been given. For if you do not, we shall repent from heaven of the great means that we took to ensure it. What are we doing with our freedom? I am blessed that in my family I had two World War II veterans. 
both of them in the army. One of them who liberated North Africa, Sicily, and Italy. One of them who helped to build the base in Okinawa. I have a father-in-law who participated in the Gulf War. A man I really do look up to tremendously for his courage and his intellect. But also for the godly example in all of them. With freedom that you were given, always remember the price that was paid to ensure it. And always remember that you have a responsibility with that freedom. Your freedom in Christ comes with three basic commandments. Simple responsibility. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. And just as the only way that Christians can really impact a society is to win it one heart at a time, the challenge that we take as we come together under the table of Christ, the challenge that we take with us now is when we get up from that table and we go out those doors, is not to hold his gospel in our heart only, but to spread it so that others may be changed. And all God's people said. So Heavenly Father, as we come before you now, as we gather around your table, we ask that you would forgive us of the times that we have not lived up to your commandments. For those times that we did not love you above all else. For those times that we did not hear the cry of the needy. For those times that we did not love our neighbor for those times that we did not love each other. Forgive us, we pray. Forgive us of all the things that would chain us back and set us free to continue to run forward the, the, the course that is before us. To be bold in proclaiming your gospel. To love you. To love our neighbor. To love each other. Lord, help us to be the people that you gave your life for us to become. And help us not only to honor those of the past who gave so much so that we could come to you right now in safety and security, but the legacy that they leave behind for the godly men and women of days gone by who stood up and said, this isn't right. Help us to be those who continue to stand for you still. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from High Lawn Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about High Lawn Baptist Church or donate to our ongoing ministry, you can do so online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We believe that when you love God, you share His Word, and when you love others, you spread the gospel. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.